our third episode of the Racing Line podcast. Good evening, gents. How are we? Very good, mate. Very How good. are you? Yeah, hi, guys. Good to hear. So tonight we're going to be reviewing the latest Formula One Grand Prix, the Turkish Grand Prix that took place last night out of Istanbul Park. Um, let's jump straight into it. It was a pretty lackluster race for the for the majority of it. Um, what a bore. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. Just got a few points to summarize kind of what happened. Um, I feel like it was the Carlos Saints masterclass of passing for the majority of the race. Apart from that, there wasn't a whole lot um, going on. Charles Leclerc kind of showed why Ferrari had so much pace um, over the course of the race. Um, I mean, obviously he tried to stay out. It didn't work out, but Ferrari on a whole were pretty, you know, pretty fast all weekend. Um, Botas obviously won, um, which isn't a surprise. Mercedes had the pace all weekend, and uh, it seemed like Max was just controlling the race throughout, kind of a, a fairly risk-averse strategy, as long as he stayed ahead of Lewis. Um, Hamilton made his way through the the back of the top ten fairly easily, um, but it became a little bit more difficult for him um, as he got to the to the front. He made some great moves on the outside. Um, of a few people with the extra downforce that he had. Um, Perez did exactly what, you know, Red Bull have been looking for ever since Daniel Ricciardo left. Um, and I think it's safe to say that if Verstappen wins by less than four points, uh, he has some part to play in that championship. Um, McLaren and Aston Martin were in limbo for the majority of the race, um, kind of weren't doing a whole lot. Um, and I think, interestingly, um, Ocon made the top 10 by not, pit, by not pitting. But when looking at his tyres at the end of the race, it kind of vindicated Mercedes and their position to bring Hamilton in. Um, and I think it just proves that they really couldn't afford to um, have him getting a puncture with you know only six rounds to go. So I think they were a little bit risk-averse as well and just thought they'd take their medicine and make sure that they, they got home. Um, it leaves us with a six-point lead to Verstappen in the Drivers' Championship. Um, the battle for third that we were talking about in our last F1 instalment between Ferrari and McLaren is down to seven and a half points, which is great to see. And uh, with six rounds to go, it's all to play for. Um, so it wasn't the, the most entertaining race uh, by any stretch of the imagination, I think. The, the rain and the fact that a dry line wasn't really developing um, kind of ruined the race a little bit. Um, the fact that everyone was just kind of staying on the inter and no one could could perform undercuts or things like that. Um, but let's move into, into the surprises and disappointments of the race. And we'll start with you, Harry. Uh, what were your takeaways, mate? Uh, I just want to mention the fact that Ferrari had the best team radio I've ever heard Charles Leclerc radios through to the team. If I stay out, where am I going to end up? And they say, if you keep Bottas behind, you'll be P1. Best That epitomizes Ferrari for me. That is the best team radio ever. But um, my surprise is straight to the point. Oh, oh mate. It's like, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for that. Um, surprises. I, I, I was opposite to you, um, Anthony. I thought Mercedes could have kept. Hamilton out. Um, the data suggested that the Inters took three or four laps to get in the window. And if the Mercs wanted to change him, they should have brought him in earlier. They should have been more forceful with him. Um, 
they went through a, a phase where it took them a while to get them heated and then they, they were graining a bit and then they came good. Um, and I think, I think they just brought him in way too, way too late. I've put, yeah. I've put something on our, um, on our Facebook chat just um, for everyone to have a look at. Um, Karun Chandok put a picture on uh, his Twitter um, showing Hamilton's tyres, ones that they swapped out. Have a quick gaze, but um, if you look at them, they're actually really, really worn, and you can see the um, carcass starting to come through. So I think it was more just a precaution that the, um, that Mercedes just did not want to lose any points in this race. Like they knew they were going to be behind Max now, just damage limitation. Even I read something this morning, uh, not this morning, this afternoon, about Toto Wolf saying it was it, to win championships, you just need to cut your losses someday. So I think that was really what it was. But those ties were pretty worn. Just to cut you in. Sorry about that. I, I, I just think I just think they should have bought him in earlier. Like no doubt they needed to change him. I just think yeah. with with the data that they got from Danny Rick because he stopped. In, you know he was really the first early. one to stop. He, his pace wasn't great for the first three or four, and then he started catching the cars in front. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think they needed to bring him in a bit earlier, but you know. I th- Toto is right though. Like Max is the type that will do something silly in the next six races. So they still got a fair chunk of points here, which is good. Um, Gasly's pace relative to Norris in that first stint, um, he was pulling out almost a second a lap on Norris there. That, that McLaren didn't really have that much pace uh, throughout the whole weekend. Really, we saw what happened with Daniel and Quali, but. Um, this car doesn't seem to actually like... didn't see Daniel in quality, to be honest with you, mate. Yeah, you, did you miss Q1, did you? Yeah, I jump in at Q2 when, when the big boys start to play. Yeah, don't even start me. I went to bed so angry on Saturday night. <laughs> um, but yeah, this car doesn't seem Wasn't to a like these type of tracks. Zanvort was similar, they didn't perform very well at Zanvort. Um, and the Alpha Tauri, like it's not the fastest car, it's not the slowest car, it's just consistent. And Gasly's driving above where that car is, but even Sonoda had a decent weekend. Um, you know, it's just able to perform consistently on every track. Uh, disappointments, the race itself, oh, the first five laps were great. Carlo, Carlos did a really good job moving through the field. Um, but other than that, not much happening. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you guys feel the same. I just thought after the races we've had recently, it was a bit of a, a damp squib. Uh, and I got a little bit of an issue with Michael Massey. I know he's our, uh, I know he's a expat, but sort your team out, mate. Um, you know, how do you give Gasly a five second penalty for that incident on the first at the first turn? It was clearly a racing incident. He was clearly squeezed in. I think it was by Charles. Uh, Gasly, yeah. Gasly was in the middle, had nowhere to go. And yeah, Alonso made a big deal of it over the radio, and that's you know they could play into FIA's thinking. Um, but then Carlos bangs into Vettel unnecessarily as he was um, moving through the field and gets nothing. He was he was and he was a, he was ahead of Vettel, but by that yeah, stage. but if you're going to do it, you've got to be consistent. And the other thing is, Gasly got two penalty points on his license, which yeah. I think is overkill. But you know. They're just my surprises and disappointments. I don't know what you. I don't know if you guys agree, but I'm on Michael Massey. Clean up your act, mate. I completely oh. agree with what Harry's saying about the Gasly incident, though, because what just watching it, it, it looked like a racing incident. Um, it didn't look, you know, like Gasly was being reckless or anything like that. I mean, he held his line. Alonso did come, kind of out his out of his periphery, so to speak. 
um, and it just looked like an innocent racing incident. I didn't think that it was going to go, um, you know, result in any kind of penalty. And then, you know, what Harry Harry's making a point with with um, science and and Vettel. If anything, that deserved a penalty. Um, and yeah, he may have been in front, but that that looked more reckless than what happened with Gasly. I, I, I felt it was grossly um, unfair. I felt sorry for Gasly. Must make that point. Yeah. The two penalty points is nuts to me. I don't, I don't understand why they give two penalty points for that incident on turn one. I just one of a Grand Prix. Just yeah, like such crap conditions. I don't know what they expected. Then you got uh, Nando last week just totally cutting out turn one in Russia and nothing happens. Like he decided to take a chunk out of Schumacher later on yeah. in the lap anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah. He yeah, ended up getting the same lap. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. But yeah. Anyway. Interesting. Shall we? Surprises? Um, my two surprises were the um were the Red Bull boys, to be honest. Um I think Perez finally showed a bit of not a bit of spark, a lot of spark holding back um Hamilton. Uh, I really think that was the most beautiful bit of racing I've ever like, I've seen in a long time, especially because when they got down to the bottom of the um of the straight, I thought he like Hamilton was through, and then when I when when it cut to the next shot, I was like, ain't no way he's gonna hold this off, and he somehow picks up the car, pulled it out, and I was like, bravo, son, that is that is what we've been waiting to see from you for the last half year, but even um. Even Sonoda holding back Hamilton at the start of the race, I thought was really was really really good, and and we all knew he was going to get past him eventually. But it was a good it was a good amount of time, and I think the, those two um, the two Red Bull boys really helped um, build, get let Max build a bit of a a bit of a buffer state between him and Hamilton. The one that I wasn't impressed with was um <laughs> was probably Pierre because he. He literally just let Hamilton breeze on past like like nothing. It's like he didn't even didn't even veer a bit to sort of show him a bit of a bit of side, just not nah, just let him straight through. Um, also, I think I was surprised to see how strong Botas was in the race. He um, like I haven't seen like that performance from Botas for a long time. It was it was a picture perfect, boring performance led from from the get-go to the end, and it, it's it, it's a boring performance, but I was surprised to see how dominant he was. I don't know if if um, Max was happy just to to finish behind him or they just couldn't um, keep up, but uh, congrats, Botas. I didn't think he'd win another race till the end of the year, and I'm happy to be proven wrong. I think it's his last one. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just happy to see that he's actually showing a bit of fight, even though he knows his future is sealed, you know what I mean? Like you yep. want to see, you you want to see that. Uh, my disappointments, uh, I think one disappointment was I was waiting for the track to dry. Like you 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 would have expected the track to dry out with that much circulation, just to to throw a bit of spice into there. You know, maybe throw a bit of um, just a bit of a strategy change would have just spiced up the race because it became very processional, and it never happened. Um, Seb that- tried. Sorry, Seb went on to the mediums yeah, at Seb, one point. Seb tried, and um, and uh, Ricardo sort of, I think, was expecting it with his early pit stop. But I mean, those things never happen. And then, <laughs> funny you bring up Seb. I've, I've I've done a bit of research on the Seb today because I was I, I was just thinking, I was looking at his performance. I'm like, yeah, he never had any spark. And I was like, how many times has he finished behind um, your best friend Stroll this year? And I went through all the races. 
And if he um he's actually finished only five of the race uh five races ahead of Stroll out of the fifteen this year. And I was surprised to read that because he's got more points than him. Um, but even including so even including his disqualification, it's only five out of ten. And Stroll's finished ahead of him ten out of fifteen times. And I think that's pretty alarming. Like I'm like I'm thinking to myself, he's had a lot uh, of bad luck this year, but yeah, he has. But over over fifteen races, you would expect to be a bit closer than two thirds. Like if 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 you if you didn't know that from when I said it, would you have been surprised to hear that? No, not really. But I think I'll, I'll say this to you: he's had more points finishes though. I think, and then if Stroll's finishing, if Stroll's, but he's ahead of him in the points, isn't he? Yeah, because he's had he's had better Radiant. finishes. He's oh. had a, he's had a, he's had two or three fifths, and Stroll I think has her highest is maybe seventh, maybe eight, seventh yeah, or eighth. Uh, I don't know. Stroll's Stroll's coming eleventh, and he's coming thirteenth. I don't think that is that really important to be honest. That with car you. that car is just not good. But he but was actually one of my strength, disappointments this week. The strength of the car is not my argument. I'm saying, would you have expected? four-time champion Vettel to be finished behind um, Lance Moneybag Stroll 10 out of the 15 races this year. That's my Rolling argument. Ball. I, th- I think I think it's it's been difficult for Seb to go from driving the best Red Bull, driving a decent Ferrari. Like we saw last year, he wasn't any good either. Yeah. He was, he was spinning all over the place. I, like, I, 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 don't I just think, think he he's can... cooked. I think... It's not the same Seb. It's not the same Seb. I think I think I think that since his fall from Red Bull, he has never had um, he's never shown the um, consistency that he used to have ever. He had half a year, two half years at Ferrari where he was really on a roll, and I think the first year he had that crash at Germany that dis, uh, derailed his season, and 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 since then he has not looked the same. Well, since watched, then, I watched an interview. The other a couple of weeks ago, um, from Fernando, I think it was yeah. back in two thousand and thirteen, and he was talking about I don't know if you guys have seen it, how Seb's championships, his four championships, will be looked down upon because he was in such a dominant car, he had no no competition, and is that something we need to start talking really? about? Yeah, you said that Alonso. You could make Fernando. the same argument for Hamilton. You would, you could say that F- Fernando was his biggest competition those years, like. Those years that Seb won in the in the Red Bull, there was one year that we had nine winners, different winners in the first nine races or something. That's yeah, I, th- I think you I mean, just meant the the period of time. The, you know, maybe. there was that. Yeah, there was a couple of years in that four year stretch where there are, there were other cars that were close, but yeah, Fernando, he said in this interview, I can't remember who it was with, that Seb's titles will be looked down upon in the future because that car was so dominant. And he had no he had no real competition. And Fernando was getting results in that Ferrari that he had no right to get, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. But that's but, I think why he's also saying that, because Fernando, as much as I love him, loves to say <laughs> things that make his exploits look even more amazing. But so if, if you look if at that Fer- car was so dominant and Fernando was racing the Ferrari, it just makes him look like he was if, but if you look yeah. at if you look at Fernando this year, you would say uncategorically that he is better than Ocon in that car consistently but Ocon's got the win you know what I mean so the same argument I'm making with Seb is Seb's got the higher points tally but on a on a like if from the eye from the eye test 
um, you would say that um, I I wouldn't say about um, Stroll to be honest, but I'd say um, Alonso has raced better than Ocon for the for the whole year. Yeah, uh, I think. Sorry, just to interrupt you. I think that I, I kind of I see where you're coming from. Here's where I think it's interesting though. If if you take that uh, Stroll versus Vettel scenario and you put that same scenario in Red Bull where there's an ex- existing driver and a new driver this year, I think you would have this a very similar statistic between Verstappen and Perez. And if you look at McLaren with DR and um, Lando, you're going to have a very similar statistic there as well. And even if you were to look at um, Ferrari, even though uh, Saints has done really well, I think that's it's, it's going to be pretty similar as well. But if you look at if you, every, everyone you mentioned just then, DR has been spoken about as a world title contender before. You look at um, um, Saints has been considered one of the best young talents many times before. Then you look at who was your other team? Um, Red Bull. Red Bull with Checo. Checo, we we know is a proven commodity. He, I don't, uh, not he he totally wiped the floor with Stroll last year. Like these are all proven commodities. Yeah, the point then, and we're talking about but we're talking about Stroll. I'm sorry to interrupt. We're talking about Stroll, who people question if he deserves a position on this grid half the time. Yeah, but the argument I'm making is that... This, Compared to a four-time world this, champion. I'm just saying the statistic is favouring the person who's driven a very similar car the year before because the cars yeah. haven't changed a whole lot. It's a very much an iteration from previous model of the car, more so than any season before that. And we're seeing that the driver that has stayed in the seat from the previous year is 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 performing on average a lot better than than the driver that you know is new to the team so i don't know i i don't know but if talking about the eye test as well if you didn't tell me that stat there's no way i would have said that vettel hadn't performed better than stroll because when you look at when aston martin are in have had any decent positions this year or have performed and can't done anything of note. It hasn't been because Stroll's done anything. And if, if I had one negative that I took away from this race was I kind of thought that this was Stroll's chance to actually remind us again that, that he's a, you know, that he exists, that he's a good racer. It was a wet race. He kind of made it to Kish three, which, which was, which was good. But apart from that, he, he really didn't do a whole lot. Um, I don't know. That was that was. I was actually looking forward to this race to see him um, prove me wrong, particularly after what we said about I, I, him last I, week. I think this race was the weirdest wet race that we've had because the the our, our better wet drivers, really, none of them really um, were able to move up, except for Carlos. Carlos except, is a yeah, but Carlos, Car- yeah, yeah. But other than that, like you would have you you would have expected. Um, uh, George to go up a bit more. You would have extra- expected maybe Stroll to move up a bit more. You would have you would have expected Hamilton to move up quicker than what he was. I mean, in the end of yeah. it, like even listening to Sonoda after the race, he said that little tussle, not tussle, that that race he had with Hamilton at the start, totally shot his tires for the rest of the race. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 it, it, it would it's a it would have been weird to have a dry race because that much wear on a wet track, you would have been. It must that track must have a lot of still might have a lot of wear problems. I think I think also what happened was people were obviously waiting for the track to get drier, so they were managing their tires for so long in the expectation that 
the track would dry out and then they could obviously just do that one pit one pit stop and finish the race and then obviously when it never dried out i think what we ended up seeing was you know the better part of 30 to 35 laps of just people managing the tire till they got to that pit stop window and then obviously once the track never dried out it kind of that's i think also what made the race so boring because if it was a, a fully wet race um, or it started raining again and there was some kind of certainty as to what the future of the race would look like i feel like people would have been less hesitant to uh to use the tire but obviously because they were expecting it to dry and the fact that it never did dry kind of meant that everyone was just kind of holding station until they could get that into that pit stop window and then make something happen there and then obviously the most interesting um, part of the race was actually when people started going onto the new tile like Harry spoke about earlier and the initial lack of performance because of the edges of the intermediate before they kind of um, you know disappeared as, as okay. the tile wore down that was actually what made the most interesting part of the race and that's what you would normally get with the different levels of performance in tires but for those 35 laps when everyone kind of was just holding station waiting for the dry line to come that never came it kind of just killed, you know, 60% of the race. And that's pretty disappointing considering the the track that we were racing at and, you know, what really could have happened on such a, you know, good circuit for overtaking and, and heavy braking and things like that. Which I think segues us into Michael and his love for this uh, Turkish Istanbul city circuit. Well, look, I just Turkish wasn't sure delights. If- I wasn't sure if anything, he just wanted to analyze the whole race by himself at this stage. Like, you may as well, mate. You've been speaking for the last two minutes, so just keep going. I mean, what's the point of even making these notes here now? But look, in all seriousness, I enjoy I enjoyed the race um, in the sense that I didn't watch Hamilton win. Um, I thought it was going to be a boring race, to be, to be honest, um, after watching the first two qualifying um, sessions. But I just thought Hamilton was going to walk away with it. And then when I was, when I figured really out that, he, diff that it wasn't a boring race, to be honest, <laughs> when he, when he, when he ended up starting where he did, I thought, okay, this could get interesting here, but yes, like Harry said, I found the actual track. Um, I haven't really, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I've never really um, watched a race there. Maybe I did back in the day, but I definitely couldn't remember it. Um, and I just found the track really cool, but there's, tons of overtaking um areas in this track particularly the last um two or three corners that little sequence um of really tight corners before the main straight really cool um the first corner i like how it swept right it's like a it was like interlagos yeah yeah very similar to interlagos even very similar to um maybe not the hairpin element, but the start of Coda that we saw last week, like a, sh- like a sharpish left followed by a, you know, um, a long right. Um, so yeah, it was pretty cool. Like I said, the, the turn eight was just awesome. Um, the shots they were showing on the TV were, were incredible. Um, the pace that the cars were taking that section of the track, I just found that part of it really cool, particularly in the wet. Um, so just from a, from a viewership point of view, that was pretty cool. But look, in terms of my um, surprises, I, th- I was actually surprised that the race was relatively clean um, considering the the conditions. Obviously, it wasn't as wet as um, it could have been, but it was wet enough for the cars to, to move around a bit. And, and after the start of the race, when Alonso went spinning, I thought, here we go, this is going to be, you know, full of incidences and, 
you know, we're going to have lead changes and, and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, very surprised that if, that given those conditions, it was as clean as it ended up being. Um, you know, the points already been made, but I, th I I initially thought Alonso was pretty unlucky to spin, but then when he got give, when Gasly got given the penalty, I, I completely changed that opinion and felt really sorry for Gasly. Um, I think that incident, though, could have been much worse than um, it was if Alonso's car had come back and hit Gasly, on, you know, after his car had made that revolution. You kind of saw the front of the car just miss Gasly. I think if they had come back and hit him, it would have been chaos there. So um, was actually quite lucky that he spun off the way he did with minimal damage. Um, it wasn't really much of an issue. He got back onto the track and then ended up having a incident anyway um, later on that lap. So and that was a surprise. Ferrari's race pace was surprising for me. Um, we saw in the early race how how quickly Science moved through the field. It was it was on it was on a mission there, um, and Leclerc was very consistent during the race. I think he kind of fluffed his line so to speak at the end there um and that funny radio communication was about as interesting the end of his race um got but i thought for a second that he would he might he could have won the race um but then you know obviously his wheels completely um left him so yeah that was a little bit disappointing i suppose and that leads into my disappointments and i think my biggest disappointment given um the way um, mclaren performed last week um was McLaren and Dan Daniel Ricciardo in particular. I think um, he had a very ordinary qualifying, as we all know. Harry was not happy at all. Um, you know, I, I remember flicking on qualifying on Saturday night to see Q2, and he was already out, so um, I didn't actually get to watch him qualify, but massively... Did you turn it off after that, or you watched the rest of it? No, I watched the rest of it, um, but it was disappointing because I, I actually really like Daniel Ricciardo um, as opposed to Jack Miller. So, oh, at least you're like yeah. one one of our natives, mate. Yeah, but yeah. It, in saying that though, and I know I've said it to you guys before the pod started, I feel and and Daniel should have pulled his finger out and got a better lap in, but I think McLaren's strategy of getting him out a few minutes early when that track evolution was so strong, his last lap. His last flying lap, I think he was – he put it up into seventh or eighth, um, you know, which is well in, you know, in the, in the range for Q2. But then the track evolution, every, even the Williams. I thought like he put just, it in ninth. I think he was oh, – he might have been eighth. Um, yeah. But there you go. I think the track evolution was just so strong. And, and they, got, they got Lando out in the right time, mm. um, which was frustrating. But, you know – it allowed him to take the new engine, I guess. So sets him up for the rest of the year. But yeah, continue. Yeah, so so I think carrying on from that, um, another one of my disappointments. I know Joe, you said that, um, and we did see Sonoda put up a, a pretty good fight when Hamilton was moving through the pack. But I think when it when it when you saw Hamilton want to pass him, it actually looked way too easy. And it, the Gasly one was was a joke. But even with Sonoda. Um, you could just see the moment where he just gives up and Hamilton makes the cleanest pass and he's on his way. And, and that I was the case. With I really I think that was an awesome pass. Because was Hamilton, awesome was pass. Only person, Hamilton was the only person who was actually into that break. That, that's a real hard breaking zone because you're popping out to the right on the left-handed turn. And it really, it really makes that, that right-hander that he's coming up to really hard to take. And he was the only person brave enough 
throughout the oh, race to keep I'm not taking anything position. away from the pass. The um, pass was incredible. I don't think could, I don't think Senator expected like, it. Yeah, I just feel like the it's car, the tough car position. Is, yeah, like I said, not taking anything away from the pass. The pass is incredible. Um, you know, we're making the point before about, um, you know, Vettel. Alonso commenting about Vettel's championships and him having a superior car. I think in that instance, apart from the superior racecraft, when it comes down to it, the car is is so far ahead of 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 the competition. And I just I just feel like you could see Hamilton catching him everywhere. And and, and you know he's the world champion. He's an awesome racer. But I, I just feel like in into corners, out of corners, the the braking, the Mercedes just has it all. So um, and when and then. Also, when, he does, oh, when he does make the pass, sorry, when he does make the pass, it's, it's no contest. It's not like, you know, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a fight going on. It's just, it's, it's, it's done really. And the only time we saw a little bit of give and go was with Perez. So, um, yeah, that was, that was a little bit disappointing for me. My other, my other big disappointment um, would be Hamilton's crew. I mean, last, last race we see them make um, the winning call. And they they bring him in um, against his wishes almost, and he comes in, changes um, the tie up, and ends up winning the race. And it wasn't even a contest with the way Norris was at the end of the Russian race. But um, Hamilton did not want to come in. He made it very clear um, leading into that pit stop, and they made the point in commentary that he probably wasn't even aware it was going to come out where he came out. Um, they bring him in, and he was fuming. And I think the obvious biggest losers are in this race uh, um, is Hamilton because he, he loses again. Um, you know, he loses some really um, important ground to to Verstappen. So they were my main takes, yeah. That, that actually is kind of the polar opposite of what my negative or my takeaway from the race was. Um, I think Mercedes are a well-oiled machine. I think they would have received some pretty valuable data um, after Botas's pit stop to look at the state of his tyres, taking into consideration that Hamilton was pushing a hell of a lot harder than Botas as well. And like Joseph said earlier, they made a decision um, because they thought that the tyre wasn't going to get to the end of the race. And then obviously, um, yes, Hamilton wanted to continue, but he didn't know how much longer those tyres had left in them, right? And if you looked at what happened to Leclerc just a few laps after that, his ties dropped off even further from the situation where, where Hamilton's were in. So I think they made the right decision. I think they realized that um, if he kept charging the way he was charging, there was a good chance that he was going to get to the carcass of his tire. And then he loses all the points that he's going to receive from that race. So my disappointment to me was how much this guy was, you know, moaning about oh. the decision after the race, man. I honestly I, think, honestly think he no, comes third. I honestly this think guy, he in third if he doesn't if he doesn't pit. He has been this this team has given him seven championships, man. They know what they're doing. Okay, they have given him a situation where for seven out of what? How, how many is he won? Seven with them or six? Six. Six out of seven. Yeah. He won six out of in seven years with them, man. And every time they won the championship, he didn't win. Every time something goes against like what he's thinking, he is super vocal, and he's and he's saying, "Oh, um, the team told me to come in. I didn't agree with it." Yada yada yada. Like, have some faith in the team that has given you so much. That was one thing that really annoyed me about Hamilton this week. 
to be he honest. He doesn't even have faith in his tyres, mate. How's he going to have like, faith in the team? Just listening to his interviews after the race, I just thought, mate, you've got you've to grow up, man, because there's obviously a reason why they did it. This team historically does not make mistakes. And every time something happens that isn't to his liking, like on a good race weekend, prejudice get in the way here. Mate. On a good feel, week, on a I good weekend, like... he's indecisive at the best of times, and he's a always a worried getter. How are my tires going? How are my tires going? The team makes a decision for him because they have some data that he doesn't have access to, and after the race, he's just mate. Poor Paul McLaren. I think Paul McLaren. I think McLaren would bet. Sorry, McLaren. I think Mercedes thought it was going to start raining towards the end of the race. I genuinely no, believe that. Did you look at the picture I put on the chat? Well, that doesn't mean anything, man. Everyone's tyres were great. They're wet. The the they are wet and they look like slicks. Inters. inters. They're inters that look like slicks. I'm, I'm going to say something now that I believe from the bottom of my heart. I know That's that true. I know that us here we from don't the very bottom of your heart from the from the from the lowest the pits of my heart the deepest darkest recesses of my heart I think the I know what's coming yeah yeah love for Lewis that's what it is and I know that none of us here think that the Lewis Hamilton wearing is this week. Gr- <laughs> don't even get me started don't even get me started um I think that none of us here believe that Lewis Hamilton is the greatest racer of all time and there's an argument for that but I really believe that none of us here could argue that this Mercedes team is the greatest F1 team of all time. Sure. Without, without a doubt. Without a doubt. There isn't and no ifs or buts about that. Like categorically, they're better than um, Red Bull, who um, was probably the best team uh, other than um, Ferrari, uh, Schumacher's Ferrari. They're like, you're probably your three best. And then after that, it doesn't matter. Um and and we're listening to all the Williams of the early nineties. Yeah, yeah, but like I don't think any any of them had it for like what Ferrari eight. five years, Red Bull four years, these guys eight years. Um, we're listening to someone physically complain about the decisions his teams made, whereas last week he complained about it and then then called them geniuses. You. Uh, like after the race when he, when he saw what happened and then within two weeks later, we're hearing him um, complain about how they didn't bring him in when, and, and they let Ocon go for the whole race. Because you have the right to do that. How? I think you've earned, you don't, I think, you don't I think win when championships you win, by nah, yourself. But I think when you win that often, when you win that often and you, and you, and you can't sit here and say that he's never, he's never made the car better. We like to. We, no we one's like saying to see, he's like, made the car better. We're I, saying I like to do he too. can't I think, see. He can't see the the grand plan of the whole race. I think he from can see com- the grand from, plan. I think that's why he wins championships, though, because he because he does go along with it. Like last week, he could have done the same thing. He could have done the same thing last week. He did he the didn't. same thing. No, he could have. I think you're talking absolute rubbish, nah, Michael. Nah, Michael, no way. I think you're talking absolute nah. rubbish right now. Sounds like you're talking R- about R- the Messiah. Nah, rumor has it, rumor has it that you're growing dreads. <laughs> so that's what I'm taking from this. I dislike Hamilton just as much as everyone else here. Michael's but I feel like sometimes we don't give him Scottish enough credit. Week. We don't give Listen, him enough credit. I, I think I'm, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not taking away from him. I'm just saying, if a team delivers you a victory last week that you didn't that you didn't foresee coming yourself, why in two weeks' time when they... Obviously, you're upset. You're, you think a podium's on the cards. 
But as Toto Wolf said yesterday, oh, I don't think it was Toto. I think it was Lewis's um, team engineer. You don't win, yeah. You don't win championships by rolling the dice. You win championships by taking the best case scenario at the at the end of the year. I mean, if he if his tie had blown and he lost all his points, there goes Max with a fifteen point lead. I still think he finishes third if he doesn't pit. I think you're talking his, absolute his pace, rubbish. His pace before the his his pace before the pit stop was better than after the pit stop. So I don't know what Yeah, because what you're Harry's saying. Harry's explained that we're not dis, we're not dis, we're not disputing the pace. We're disputing the actual life in his tires. Well, but you know it, that when a tire makes, wears out, ah. I'm going to explain something to you. When a tire wears out, it pops. Do you understand that? I know how it works, Joe. Button makes the point in commentary saying that Lewis is driving the car and he, and he'd be the best gauge of you can't listen to the biased that British and commentators. I think, merit, I think there's merit in that, considering, <laughs> you know, considering Button is a world champion and he would know what he's talking about. Probably he doesn't more because than you. all the British commentators are biased. They love so, Lewis. They, so they, they can't that. see through Land, the smoke Lando, screen. Lando was the driver in the car last week and he wanted to stay out. It wasn't the right decision. Exactly. Look, I'll give Lewis something. You can't compare Lando making a decision to a seven-time world champion. No, you can't. You can't. You can't. Poor analogy there, and up your game. But you can't, you can't, um, you can't um, draw analogies to the Mercedes team making decisions for you compared to the um, the McLaren I don't make team. Any either. I'm speaking facts here, boys. Cold hard facts. 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 I think you're talking facts out of your out of your ass. <laughs> I agree. He's making he's making like it's the eye, it's it's Joey's eye test that I'm going off here. So uh, he's playing devil rapidly. advocate. Yeah, that's it. Playing... Look, someone has to. You got, you got to you got to stand up for his boy. So, look, he's definitely not my boy. But I I, I found the end of the race and indecision, like Ant said, there was the, the only consistent thing about that race was the weather, and the weather was was just so it was. I feel like it was so tricky. Teams were so um, indecisive, and and it just wasn't wet enough to get, to go on to wet, and it just wasn't dry enough H. to change from the inter. So that was H. fascinating, at least because the race wasn't. After this pod, can you put up that picture of the tires on our socials just so everyone can see the um the state of those tires? Yeah, no, so. I'll put I'll put up a poll. Who's right? I think just to finish this section, man. Like Michael's talking about Lewis Hamilton, like this he's been driving this car off its wheels for seven years, man. I feel like if William Wallace was driving in a kilt, <laughs> that Mercedes could probably get a few championships as how well. Long that been, so how talking. long have you been? How long has that been in your head? Just wanting to say that for the last 10 minutes. Oh, William Wallace with a kilt, this guy. <laughs> Why don't you just pontificate to the end of this end of this pod like you do for the, for the start? Oh, I'm going to be on for two, and th- two or three minutes just quickly talking about the race, boys. 20 minutes later, after the whole race has been analysed, he finally throws to one of us to give us our disappointments. Goodness, I don't even know why I bother showing up. Joseph's, up. Joseph's explaining to me how tyres were. Goodness, it's always gracious. good to have an amateur opinion in the podcast. Just yeah, educating our listeners, Mikey B. Just educating our listeners. I understand. I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to sit here and take my medicine. I just like, a, like you said, someone's got to be the devil's advocate sometimes. I agree. It's good. It's always good as well. So, hey, throwing throwing back to you. Yep. Interesting news in Formula One this week regarding um, Red Bull powertrains and obviously the collaboration with Honda and what yep. that means for Formula One. Yeah, so Honda came out earlier this week to confirm that their arrangement with Red Bull for next year, uh, Honda will be consultants to Red Bull powertrains. 
Um, so Honda's kind of still going to have their foot in the door and as Honda does, may flitter in and out of the sport over the next 10 years or so. But um, the greatest, the greatest flitterers. Oh, man. always leaving when they when their cars <laughs> get good. <laughs> Braun GP, love it. Um, so more info is coming out about the 2026 engine regs. Um, it's looking like VW Volkswagen Group are going to have both Porsche and Audi. That's that's the rumors in Formula One. Um, and the rumors are that VW are going to invest in Red Bull powertrains and um, brand it as VW Group powertrains. Um, so with the new Concord agreement that came out last year, uh, what the Tims did was ensure that prize money, et cetera, was evenly spread instead of, you know, 70% going to Ferrari, then everyone else getting the scraps. Um, it's also to help ensure ex- existing teams up until 26, you know, like Haas, who is, you know, at the end of last year, I don't think he was that keen on continuing for that until this agreement was reached. Um, they we also just, Can we just yeah. stop and think about um, Ferrari for a second? and how much money they get and they still oh, can't get their stuff together. <laughs> I love Ferrari for that reason. I absolutely love Ferrari because this sport wouldn't be the same without them. All that um, money to produce a fuel flow irregularity. Yep. And and let's, more, let's, let's, let's put it this way. If they, if, if they had danced around the rules and beat Mercedes, we'd be praising them if we wouldn't know how, how, how good they were. And then and you see how much, how much they've invested in that in that little um, that engine roundabout, and then they've got it taken away from, and they've been nowhere. You know what else I love about Ferrari at the moment? Mattia Bonotto. He's he really is Wes Wally. He's not even turning <laughs> up to the races anymore. Um, hey, bring back Domenicali. That's all I say. <laughs> um, well, he's there now. He's just in charge. Can I could I um touch on just quickly what you're saying about those um Honda power units? Uh, today, so I was just doing a bit of reading on my lunch break. And apparently that power unit was meant to be introduced next year. That was the plan for the last couple of years until um, Honda made the decision to leave. And uh, Red Bull and Honda made a plan to bring it forward to the halfway through this year. So they have half a year to, um, to test it with this new MGU they've brought in. Because if they brought it in at the start of next year, they wouldn't have had the full Honda expertise to um, work out any kinks with that MGU. So that's the reason why that's come in half a year early, which I thought was... Number one, interesting, but also good on Honda for actually, you know, help like actually spending some more money to speed up that um, that process to get it in the car, so they so they could actually test it before they put it in the hands of Red Bull, um, which I thought was interesting. I didn't know that they'd put that MGU in the Toro Rosso's as well beforehand to get more testing on it as well. And apparently, it's the um, the MGU is. It has a there's a five kilo uh, like play on how heavy it can be, so I think it's uh, actually I can't remember how heavy it's supposed to be, but they're saying that this one could be as as much as five kilos lighter than the old one because the one that they were running till previously was the same one that they had in the um in the McLaren all those years ago. So this is like their first real big MGU um, battery update. Uh, so I thought that was actually interesting as well. So continue but well that kind of leads me context that kind of leads me into what i was um so obviously they they agreed the concord agreement and the teams all agreed that any new entrants needed to pay 300 million dollars to to enter um which would be 600 million for for vw group if they were entering two teams plus all the tech required for the mguh which is the heat recovery system um which is apparently the most expensive component 
in the power unit to produce. So from 2026, uh, apparently what they want to do is get rid of the MGUH and concentrate on the MGUK. Um, and currently it gives the drivers an extra 110 kilowatts, the MGUK, and they want to up that because they're getting rid of the MGUH to, be, to around 350 of, um, kilowatts of output. So what's what's the MGUK? Is that MGU kinetic? Is that for like the, the yep. flywheel and stuff like that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all the kinetic energy being reused. Yeah. Now, um, what this could mean is it'll be more attractive to prospective teams coming into F1 um, to not have to develop an MGUH. Um, and what I'm hearing is F1 wants 12 teams on the grid moving forward, 24 cars, four more seats, um, obviously more commercially viable. So I guess my question is, what do you boys think of VW coming into F1, even though the rumors have been around for years, um, and essentially running two teams and being a an engine supplier to Red Bull if they do take over Red Bull power, powertrains? Um, what, what does this mean for Formula One and for VW Group, considering they've dedicated so much of their car business to, to electric? And well, obviously Formula One's not moving electric, so what's... Yeah. Well, I think I really think that um, Formula One being the, the way that Formula One have have grown their hybrid is is other than um, Le Mans Le Mans racing like the uh, Le Mans hyper uh, hybrid cars prototypes. has had the prototypes has mm. been the um, you've seen the biggest advancements there and you would expect it with the money that's being spent. The one thing that I find interesting what you, with what you're saying about VW Group is who are the teams they want to bring in. They want Audi and who? Audi and Porsche. Porsche. Yep. The, the, the interesting thing would be you look at Ferrari and Sauber, how they've got an agreement with that sort of feeder program. You look at Red Bull Tour, I say feeder program, but there's one big team. And then you look at this, this Audi-Porsche scenario. They're both massive OEMs in, by themselves. So would, mm. they be, would they be running... Uh, a feeder, a feeder's kind of um, system, or would they both be pushed? Would they be pushing both of them to be sort of their their flagship? If you know what I'm saying, like even you look at the news this week that um, Andretti wants to get into Formula One, um, and I would think myself that if Andretti wants to come in, he said that with the um, cost of running a team to be cheaper, making alliances, I think that he would fit like a glove for a Mercedes, uh, not Mercedes, for a McLaren partnership with his um, with his relationship with Zach Brown. Um, like you, you would see that as a, as a, as a feeder for McLaren, who who that which don't have a feeder, but with this whole uh, Volkswagen Group uh, pushing two flagships, it'd be a really interesting dynamic. That's what I would I, think personally. I think it's going to be slightly different, personally. So um, I think. With Red Bull developing their own powertrains, I think by the time we get to 2026 and the whole transition of Honda engineers, you know, moving over to to Red Bull over the next two years, by the time they get to 2026, I think Red Bull isn't going to want to go back to working with a, you know, an engine supplier. And if they have success with the Red Bull powertrains project, I can see that continuing. Um, particularly as the engine gets simpler and as they start developing their own idea and IP for their engine. So even though Volkswagen's coming in and there's talk that they've had connection in the past with, you know, the F3 um, team that they used to have and obviously being powered by Volkswagen, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily going to happen. The second thing I would think, even though um, there's the potential for Audi and Porsche to both join Formula One, 
I think history shows that they've competed in the same championships multiple times in the past. You know, recent history would show they've done it in WEC and also in Formula E, and they've had very independent um, and in GT racing and GT racing. They've had very independent programs, even though they're under the same cloud cloud group. So I would think that that would continue in Formula One. There's even though they're owned by the VW group, they have a very strong rivalry between those two companies. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them doing very different things. The other thing that we need to take into consideration is if the engine gets simpler and it becomes a little bit more like a WEC engine, there's already IP that Audi and Porsche have from their own programs that even though it's not relevant you know, as it is today, they can they can take from. And there's obviously the whole article about six months ago of um, Porsche having a Formula One engine that's as recent as two years ago um, as they kind of thought about what their program was going to move to once they ch- decided to leave WEC. So I think that those two companies um, are ready to join Formula One, but I don't think that they will be in cahoots at all. I think that there's a very strong rivalry there and it would be good for the sport to have, you know, um, Porsche, uh, Audi and Mercedes all competing. And something else that um, is fairly interesting to consider with the whole Andretti scenario, um, it's, it's, it's obvious that BMW have left Formula E as a, um, as a manufacturer as of, as of this year. Andretti wants to come into Formula One. Formula One's become significantly more affordable. I can see them buying out Sauber um, or, you know, buying a share in Sauber. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some kind of, over the next couple of years, it wouldn't surprise me if BMW come back to Formula One and it it would make sense to come back with Sauber and Andretti, a company that uh, they had a lot of success with in the past in Formula One with Sauber and connections that they have you know, very real ties with currently with the whole Andretti Autosport team. So that would be a, um, a communion that actually makes sense from, you know, just historical points priest. of view and, and, and current points of view. So I actually think it's that... in church, mate. I, I, but I honestly think that, that um, those connections that have been built make a lot of sense in Formula One and, and uh, taking into consideration also that um, sports car racing and Formula One is has you know made concerted efforts to become more affordable. I think we're going to see a lot of those manufacturers that have kind of you know gone into other things reassessing whether they want to join Formula One again as it gets simpler. And the fact that they've got till 2026 to develop an engine um, gives them all a lot of time to do that. And I think the you know the fact that we're seeing Audi, Audi, Mercedes, BMW. Probably Porsche in the next year you or say so. Aldi, Audi, I did, yep. I did. <laughs> Audi, Aldi, they're both from Germany. It's oh, two points. All the same. Two, two but I takeaways I'm taking from what Anthony's saying before he talks till ten ten. Um, German German manufacturers never do anything in halves. Um, you see that in every category um, of motorsport, they they're always striving to be the best. And I I, I will piggyback onto what Anthony's saying there. I think it'll be awesome to see um, Audi, Porsche, um, maybe even BMW, who knows, but it would be awesome to see four German engine um, manufacturers going at it in F1. And the question that I have, and you guys might be better suited to answer this is, 
with F1 um, trying to become more affordable, does it change the face and landscape of F1 itself as a as a category, or is it, does it still remain um, the you know the elitist category that it is? Not, I'm not saying that it would be diminished in any sense, but does it become um, a little bit more accessible to the to to yeah. motorsport fans who have who might not like it because of, of how elite it, it, it has always been that's a question that maybe you guys might I, want to I, talk about i think it's um it's still going to be the the top the top category you know you're using the word you're using the word affordable really loosely right now because we're yeah. still talking about like 150 million dollar you know caps and like that's 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 insane money still whatever whatever it is but um mm. My the the bigger thing I'm thinking here is like this is a weird time in in for uh, manufacturers where we've got Formula One with a radical change, we've got um, prototype racing with another radical change, both trying to do the exact same thing, and we've got um, sort of manufacturers who have put their feelers out into both. Like you've got um, Porsche and um, Audi have both said we're doing prototype racing. And they're both saying, and we might do Formula One. You've got Ferrari saying, we're going to go do prototype racing. So they're all converging. And is Alpine. It, and Alpine, that's right. So is it going to be that they're all going to do it, which I don't think they are? Um, and I, I, to me personally, I don't really want to see Porsche in Formula One. I don't really have any, they have, they've never been in there before. I, when I think of Porsche, I think Le Mans. Like and that's really a a brand something that they take really strongly in their brand. Have Audi? Um, what? Well, she did a season with McLaren. Yeah, but like as an engine supplier, they've never done like okay one season. That's that's nothing. Cosworth has done more seasons than Porsche. Then yeah, um, same with Aston. Same with Aston though. Aston only did one season before this year. Yeah, but Aston isn't really Aston. Like they're not building an engine for themselves. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying. Um, so I, th- I think when we talk about new manufacturers coming in, I think there, there really is a, is a game being played here by the, but, and I, I really don't think that Volkswagen would want two of their manufacturers racing in, in, I think the money would be ridiculous for them. Um, and the other thing is too many manufacturers in formula one never ends well because they all, they all can't win at the same time. Like there's um, you can never have, like if you look at formula E, they had the most manufacturers ever in any sport at once. And then within one year, they all left. All of them. So Formula like, E was it was a bit gimmicky though. Yeah, it was gimmicky, but like one year they're saying, look how how good this is. We've yeah. got we've got all these um, teams coming in. And then within one year that um, and and you saw some of them had success and mm. some of them had no success. But um yeah, but I, I also... It's a, it's a real big juggle. You've got to be very careful with Formula E when you consider that at the time that all these teams are announcing that they're leaving, there's also news from the ACO, there's news from yeah. Formula One about plans to cut costs and to make racing more affordable. I suppose if you That's, can choose to go win Le Mans or the Monaco Grand Prix or the Berlin E-Prix, you're... you're um... <laughs> It's not a hard decision. I think the other thing that you need to, that we need to be smart about as well is yes, there's a lot of manufacturers, not all of them are going to join, but you need to think that the money that these manufacturers have been putting into either Formula One or WEC 
far exceeds the amount of money that even Formula One's cost cap is going to be now. So, for example, you look That's at fair. a team like Ferrari, who have got resources to, you know, for R&D and things like that. I feel like the money that they're saving from Formula One, they're like, let's reinvest it and get some more exposure and let's go into WEC. The same thing we're seeing with Alpine, okay, or Renault. I think we'll see a very similar thing with Aston Martin moving forward. There's already talks about doing that. So I think that because of the whole cost-cutting measures that these competitions are taking, but also the fact that there is some level of similarity and convergence between the engine and the electronic hybrid system that both competitions are employing now, is that there is some chance of taking some of the R&D from you know, Formula 1 into, into the... Um, sports cars and potentially even vice versa so i don't think that i think that manufacturers could do both and receive the benefits from more exposure potentially more prize money and then kind of you know cross pollinate between before, their before, two I, teams. before i lose this train train of thought so um uh, there was a there was a um like a car show this weekend a big international car show and mercedes was showing off that was it was it called the project one that yep. AMG one, that amazing yeah. Formula One um, hypercar. Um, yeah, so what, piggyback what you're saying, do you think that because um, both championships have got quite a bit of alignment that we could see, like especially now that Formula One engines have become a lot more durable, that we could see um, like the use of componentry from each of them sort of merge into one, especially now that Formula One and um prototypes that have all gone down this um, downforce created underneath the car and leave the top for show kind of kind of uh, route is that what you're sort of um, 100% and I think it 100% and I think it's um, similar to what the landscape of racing looked like in the late 80s and early 90s where we had Formula One and and GT1 where even though there were there were different categories very different categories there was still a lot of crossover that could take place you know there were teams that were able to take an engine from a formula one car strap it into was the bmw that won le mans did that have the um, formula one v10 in it uh i think that was before they joined formula one it might have been they might they might have actually built the engine for formula one and then not gone into it at the time Mm. but there was i mean there was you know ferrari did it mclaren did it with the mclaren team and obviously the the gt1 that um that they went and raced in the ones with as well so mm. i think that um it, it's kind of coming back a little bit more to to that era and particularly when you see the convergence of the rules somewhat uh it makes a lot of sense you know it makes a lot of sense that there would be some level of um parity but some level of sharing ip between the between a company but between race teams uh, if they thought that there was some level of um, performance to be made from it. What a time all, to I know be alive. Is, all I know is it's going to be old school rivalry, Britain versus Germany. Oh. And it's going to be great for motorsport as a whole. 100%. To see yep. more manufacturers to make it more affordable for them. You know, the more brands that we see, um, you know, the better it's going to be for, for, for all of us. You mean, more merch we can buy. Exactly when right. Was the last time, when was the last time F1 had more than more than three cars going for the championship 2012 mm. you had um Rocket NG, was that right you had you had uh hamilton in a mclaren you had vettel in his red bull you had alonso in a ferrari you had raikkonen hanging around there in his lotus we had, was doing well 
we had we had we had nine race winners in the first uh, nine races or something or something yeah. like that. It was tight till um too long. It's too long ago. It's too long ago. It's actually it's actually crazy to think. I was thinking about this today. How long it has taken everybody to catch up on on the head start Mercedes took on this last generation of, of hybrid engines, and um, they still haven't caught up. No, they haven't caught up. But like, but like, we're now seeing the fruits of this new engine just before we're going to leave it. You know what I mean? Like, this has been in terms of even just the midfield battles. Like, it's 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 blur- it's blurred the lines between midfield teams and back teams. Like, you see Williams actually pushing into the into the um top ten. The only team that has been abysmal this year has been Haas, and we know that they're not spending any money this year. So, like, it's taken how many years? Eight years. For 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 we finally seeing the fruits of this of this new, or well, not new anymore, eight year old uh, hybrid engine era, and we're getting rid of them next year. Mercedes we're, we're had such a cars. Mercedes had such such a head start because they were able to tap into the uh, electric truck market with their, their trucks. You know that a lot of the technology was already being used in their their long range trucks. They were able to adapt it to fit. The regs they, for Formula but they One. They also made the decision because they weren't in the championship at the time, like in the mm. hunt, to yep. say we're not going to develop this car anymore. We're yep. going to jump onto the next car. But then, even still, like you look at how much their car still has changed and how they're just always one step, one step, one step ahead, ahead of the curve every year. Yeah. Also, yeah, making the most beautiful cars. It's the Germans. That's German yep. auto. Uh, <laughs> a good place to wrap it up don't you reckon Ed? I think we'll leave it there men thanks so much for jumping on thanks to all our listeners out there for spending the time to listen to us talk gibberish for an hour it's good uh, if you've been watching on YouTube please give the video a like if you haven't subscribed please it takes a second to do so um, and also if you're listening on any other platform and you have any friends you know people that are, might be like minded who might be interested in the podcast please give it a shout out. Please get them to like and subscribe. It will be greatly appreciated. Next week, we've got a slightly different podcast coming up. We have an interview with a young Australian driver who's um, gone overseas to try to make a career in Formula One. Um, He's recently returned to Australia um, to to race in S5000. That is Joey Mawson, who won the most recent championship. Um, So please uh, be prepared for that. Um, and keep looking at our socials for any updates that might be coming up. Thanks so much, guys, and, and have vote, a great night. Vote on the um, vote on the tire wall poll that we're going to put up there. H is going to put it on the Instagram, um, <laughs> and let's yeah, put Michael do. in his place. That's it, mate. Oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> Lewis Hamilton, the place, Messiah. So I didn't need I didn't need to be put in my place, but like if you want to do that, go ahead. Someone just has to um, toe the, the other line, so to speak. All right, Mikey. We'll leave it there. Thanks Thanks a lot. Have a great night. Have a great night, boys. See you guys.